Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Bibles, open them to two places, Hebrews chapter 2 and James chapter 5 as we finish today this four-part mini-series on the topic of backsliding. I thought we were going to finish it last week, but I really believe that this message needs to be the capstone on this topic of drifting away from God and backsliding. And today the Bible study is entitled, A Heart to Restore the Backslider. A heart to restore the backslider. Because if there's one thing about sheep that's certain, is that they're prone to stray away from time to time. And remember, when you think of physical sheep, remember, the Bible uses sheep to describe you and me. And if there's one thing that is in all of us to some degree, is our proneness to drift away and to stray away. It's just in a sheep's makeup. It's how they were made and what their, how their minds work. Sometimes they stray so far away that they fall off cliffs to their death. Maybe you read an article not too many years ago from Turkey where I quote, first one sheep jumped to its death, then stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they had breakfast, watched as nearly 1,500 other sheep followed, each leaping off the same cliff. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall was more cushioned. There's nothing we can do. They're all wasted, one of the shepherds said, as they lost 20, one of the 26 families whose sheep were grazing together in the herd was quoted as saying. Now, think of that picture. One sheep goes off, and then another one goes, oh, that's a good idea, and they go off, and they go off, and they go off, and isn't it true? Isn't it true? It's so easy not only to drift away, but to be tempted to follow others who do. Sheep eat, sheep sleep, and sheep hear their shepherd's voice, and you can expect it, you can plan for it. Sheep stray away. The dictionary defines straying away as this. To wander from company or restraint, or to wander from proper limits. To roam about without a fixed direction or purpose. And sometimes, straying away can be so difficult that you'll find yourself going over a cliff to your own destruction. And you never really planned for that. That little compromise, that little decision, that brand new ungodly friend, you never planned that the end will be off a cliff and turning your back completely on the God that loves you and saves you, but that's where straying often leads. James says, as we'll learn in a moment, that it's a good thing and a great thing for those of us in the church, in the church of Jesus Christ, in this particular fellowship here at Calvary, to have a heart to restore the backslider, to have a heart to go after the lost, those that are wandering, those that are roaming, those that are being ripped off by the enemy. I mean, what kind of church do you want to be? What kind of fellowship family do you want to be marked by? Because Jesus said that those that would look upon the church would know that we're truly his disciples, 
Not by the name on the side of the building, not because we own a Bible, not because we say we're Christian, but he said there's going to be a very evident, the very evidence of you following me will be to others your love for one another. Your love for one another. What kind of church do we want to be? Do we want to be a critical, condemning, fault-finding, judgmental group? Try putting that on a flyer and passing it out in your neighborhood. Hey, join us. We just love to be critical. And we love to judge people that are struggling in sin. And we think we know it all. And we're going to stand in judgment upon a sick and dying world. Seriously, we want to be a grace-filled church. One One that reflects the love of God in truth. Don't ever, don't ever mistake the grace of God as compromising the truth. But it's all in the delivery, isn't it? It's all in the delivery. And really, the delivery is all in the heart of the matter. It's always about the heart. We want to be a group of people that's known exactly what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. As I have loved you, you also love one another. The very heart of Jesus was what? To seek and to save the lost. And those that are wandering have gone back to a place of living their life as though they were lost. Now, straying happens for a lot of reasons. Remember, notice with me in Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 1, as this mini-series is in the midst of our verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews. And we've just paused because we can't get past this important exhortation in verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. You see, straying and backsliding happens for a variety of reasons, and one is right here in verse 1, deliberate rebellion. Deliberate rebellion, not heeding the things that we're hearing. That will lead to being a backslider. It's just the way, that's just the end result. It may happen sooner than later. It may take some time. But when we don't heed what we hear, we drift away. Sometimes backsliding is also, it also is, um, what's the word I want to use? It begins through pressure, peer pressure, and external forces on a person's life where now they're met with decisions. Should I please these people or should I make up my own mind to follow God? And so there's these pressures that get yielded to. Oh, don't misunderstand me. The decision to backslide is always squarely on the person. But I mean, it can be a pressure-filled world that we live in. Don't think of peer pressure just the way your kids face. Um, Adults have peer pressure as well and the pressure of this world. Sometimes it's a temptation that traps a person. And the guard is let down, as we've seen in previous studies. And man, there's this temptation at the right time. Really, at the wrong, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and a temptation hits you. But like sheep, we are all prone to wander, just as we sang today. Come thou found of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. How can we not sing that and yet resonate with the words at various seasons of our life, prone to wander, 
Well, jump over, would you, to James chapter 5 as we finalize our time of just, man, Lord, give us a heart. Let us tap into your heart to seek and to save the lost. You know, Jesus has a heart for the lost. There's no question about that. And you can jot it down in Luke chapter 15 as there's a series of parables that Jesus gives about that which is lost was found. That which was lost was found. You know, there's a sheep rejoicing. There's a coin that was found rejoicing. A son that returns rejoicing. And the end of that chapter, excuse me, in the beginning of that chapter, in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, it says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So keep that in mind as we pick up in James chapter 5, verse 19. James chapter 5, verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's how James decides to end his letter. The letter of practicality. The letter where he teaches us that, that faith without works is dead. That he's such a practical man. And how does he decide to, to, to end his letter? He says, look guys, look brethren, look fellow believer. Listen, if anyone among you wanders, you could say that here today. Hey, brethren, if anyone in this room today wanders, ends up wandering away from God, and someone else here turns him back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way is going to save a soul and cover a multitude of sins. Straying is going to happen among us in this room. Percentage-wise, the amount of people that gather together here on a weekend service in our church, literally the way the percentages go, hundreds of people that would be once here worshiping and, and raising their hands and, and raising their kids and living their life in Jesus Christ or aren't with us. And I always remember that from time to time when I see empty seats here because I have a vantage point of the church that you don't have the privilege of and that is I get to see your faces and I get to minister to your faces. I get to see you and I know that so-and-so used to sit there and they're not there anymore. And I remember there was that group of family, that large family used to take up the whole row and they're not here anymore. Now, of course, any number of reasons could, could lead them. They could have moved away. They could have gone to another church. They, there's a, many a number of reasons. But a lot of times, the reason is they've just drifted away. They started out strong and not, are not ending well. And there is someone that's listening to me that will stray away. Don't think of straying away just physically either. I use the example of a few empty chairs, but that's not the point. That's not even, people can stray away and actually be sitting in a chair right now. <laughs> you can be seeing me face to face, and you're here physically, but spiritually and mentally, you are as far away from the things of God that you could possibly be, where you have no desire to be here. You have no desire whatsoever to, to worship God, to submit your life to God. You have no desire to any longer follow him, but rather you're here physically, but simply going through the motions. Now I have to say, for those that stray away, 
it's much better to be sitting in a chair right now listening to me than it would be to be somewhere else going off messing around and doing something else. Because at least you're getting 90 minutes of being a taste of heaven. At least you're getting 90 minutes uh, of being in the company of other people that do love God and remind you of your love that has been now lost. You left your first, first love some time ago. And it's good that you're here. And it's good that you're listening because the Holy Spirit loves you and is longing for you to come back into relationship. But straying happens in a variety of ways, which leads to the question in this. We haven't answered it yet in our series on backsliding. I mean, we have to some degree, but what is, who are backsliders? Who are exactly backsliders? If you're taking notes, let me give you a couple of options. Because, you know, I think we're, we ask the question, we get in, we, when we're talking to something like this, it's very easy to get all theological. And let's make it a big theological argument. Why don't we? Because what system of belief do we have? And were they saved or were they not saved? And are you eternally saved or not eternally saved? And then before you know it, you're arguing about things theologically, some theological argument, and you're not even caring about the lost. You want to figure out who they are first before, don't worry about whether they're saved, unsaved. Don't worry about that. Just go get them. Just go get them. Have a heart for them. Well, you don't understand that. We need to have it right theologically tied up. No, no, you, you actually don't because their relationship with God is between God and them. Just go get them. Love them. Take care of them. You know, don't show up, to a, don't show up and find somebody who's been wandering. Well, you know, uh, what, what, and you give them a, like a checklist. Have you done this? Have you done this? I don't, and just, just go love on people that you know haven't been around for a while. Maybe your own family and friends. But consider this. Number one, I think James has three types of sheep in mind here. Number one, truly lost sheep. What we would refer to today as unbelievers. Because not everybody in a church service is saved. Not everybody that is listening to a Bible study has a real relationship with God. So there are truly lost people that we need to go. And, and Isaiah describes it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And so sometimes we don't even look at the term backsliding. They're just straying away. They're lost. Number two, I think that another group of people that can be referred to here is what I would call deceived sheep deceive sheep. These are those that look like they, know, they knew the Lord, but have strayed away and have never really known him at all. They walk away from Jesus because uh, the reason is simply they never really knew him to begin with. They attended church, they read their Bible, but they never fully or completely or willingly surrendered their lives to Jesus. They were religious and kept religious rituals, but are also in the category of not being saved. You could call them cultural Christians or social Christians, but you can't call them real believers. But again, they've strayed away even from how close they were, how close they were to true salvation. And then thirdly, I think the category of backslidden is the third uh, group of people that can be referred to here. These are those that really do know Jesus Christ and have turned their back on him for a season, like the prodigal son. This is something, again, I know that this too has become some, tech, some theological argument, but it doesn't need to be because we read in the scriptures over and over again of true believers turning their back on God. We see that for a time because if they're really saved, they'll be back. 
And so we just want to go help them come back. But I can't help about Abraham, the father of faith who strayed and disobeyed God. Or Moses who served God truly but also murdered someone. I think, he, I think murder would qualify as straying away, don't you? David did the same thing, committing adultery and murder to cover it up. But was David ever a lost son during that time? He was not. He was a foolish man and a man wrapped up in sin, but one that God dealt with him. And he repented in Psalm 51. Peter in the New Testament, he denied Jesus three times. Not just a denial like, you know, a little, uh, you know, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Like it was a public denial to all that were there. And it happened, we think a denial is like, well, just saying, I don't believe in Jesus three times. But you kind of understand, this was at the deepest moment of need in Jesus' life. He not only abandoned him and ran away from him, but in his time away, he denied him three times the one that he devoted his entire life to. And did Peter come back? Yes, no, you guys with me? Not only did he come back, but Jesus personally restored him into ministry, personally. Told him he loved him three times. And then man, go take care of the sheep, Peter. You blew it, but we're not gonna focus on that. Move forward, step up, and that's the entirety of his life. So in verse 20, it says, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul. He who turns a sinner, a brother, a believer, an unbeliever, those that turn people away from their sin is a good thing. I personally believe that if James was here today, he'd probably say, stop trying to figure out who these people are, whether they're saved or not, and just go get them. Go reach out to them. Pray for them. You know, right now, you might be so stirred right, right now to, to move in this way, but you don't know anyone right now that's straying. I believe if you begin to pray for people that are straying, God will reveal to you all kinds of people around you that currently are in your life and your circle of influence that you'll be able to be used in your life to reach and to minister the gospel to. But to set aside the practicality of the Bible to try to argue and figure things out, God is just not gonna bless that. He doesn't bless theological arguments while a world is dying and going to hell. Don't misunderstand me. I believe we need to have our theology in order. But sometimes it takes precedent over the love that God wants to show people. And you can hold fast to the foundations that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived, he died, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's in the, sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. And there's no other name under heaven by which a man or a woman can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. That if you and I, well, not me anymore, but if you die in your sins, you will spend a Christless eternity of your own choice and your own doing because God has done everything that he possibly can. He's provided every way available to you and me to be right with him and to come into a whole real relationship with him. You know, that's the real essence. And there's a lot of other things, secondary things that people like to argue about, but while you're arguing, you're not being useful for the kingdom. James is practical. His heart, like the heart of Jesus, is simply to seek and to save which is lost. I heard about a group of herdsmen in the third world country that had no numbering system. Nowhere in their culture was there any kind of numbers or math or anything like that. 
And the funny thing is, is that they had flocks and they had to keep track of them. So a visitor came one day and asked the, one of the men, how do you keep track of all your animals if you don't count them? And he answered very quickly, the shepherd did, and confidently he said, sir, when they come back at, when they come back at night, I miss their face. See, there was such an intimacy with the sheep that the shepherd knew their face. And when, when you stray, you're not just a number or a statistic. You know, you, we don't sit around at staff meetings and say, oh, you know, we lost another five this week, oh well. As a matter of fact, we don't even count. Because that which you count is that which you worry about. And so we don't count. Somebody might ask, how many people attend church on the weekend? I don't know, I don't know, we never, we don't count. We don't, what, what difference does it make? Whoever shows up, we're going to minister to them. And uh, we'll, we want to have room for them. I guess the only difference that makes it, make sure we have room for the people that want to worship God here. But I do, we do notice when people are gone. We do talk about the people we haven't seen in a while. We do talk about what, what's going on in, in the life of our congregation. And, you know, I thought this, this picture was so beautiful because that's how I, that's so much how I relate to our fellowship is by face. And we're not just numbers to the Lord, we're all faces. That's an intimacy. There's a uniqueness about our face. There's a uniqueness about our person that's seen in our face. We express ourselves so often through our face. And to think that God knows us, that he loves us, and that he wants us back. You know, there was a time in this particular fellowship, this church family, where I knew every single person's name, their kids, and even their dog's name for a while. You know, the church was about 30 people in the early days. That's how we gather together. Sometimes 30, sometimes less than 30. Uh, and, and as we continued to grow, though, that changed. That changed. I try to remember names, and I have little tricks that help me to remember names of the people that serve and the people that are here. But, but my memory is so limited that I can't, I can no longer, I can no longer say that I know the name of every single person that worships in this church. But I'm so grateful that God doesn't make that a prerequisite in serving him. I'm so grateful I didn't cross a line and go, oh, I got to give up now. And I've got, no, God has done, instead, he's given me a comfort. He's given me a comfort that God knows everyone in his church. He knows you better than even, even if I knew your name and your dog's name, he knows you better than I will ever know you. And he can care for you and does care for you so much better than any pastor or pastor's wife, or fellow believer could ever. Sometimes I think we, take, we put too much pressure on one another for the things that only God wants to do in your life. You know, for example, uh, we were reading recently in our discipleship time as a staff, you know, a book on ministry and grace, and it's really a beautiful book. And, and one of the things that Pat, the, the brother said that he wrote it, he said, this guy came to me and said, you're my last resort. You're my last resort. And if you can't help me with this problem, no one will be able to help me with this problem. And, and he said, I knew right away that the brother doesn't really want to solve his problem because he made, his, he made the solving of his problem my responsibility. And it's not my responsibility to solve his problems. And I thought, what a great insight. We can't put pressure on one another to solve each other's issues that only God can solve. And only God can work. And he's promised to work. 
that by faith we access the power of God to deal with all the issues in our lives. And I take comfort that there's the power of God among us. And certainly I'll be a tool in the master's hands in your life, but I'm not the only tool. We have a group of leaders and servants here. We're filled with a church of believers, and that comforts me. And the reality that you're able to know one another, pray for one another as the family of God. And one way that we keep track of each other here in a church that's growing is that you keep track of one another. You know, when you're really greeting someone, you should greet them and remember them and maybe even pray for them. It's not the pastor's job to take, keep track of all this. It's our job as believers in Jesus Christ to connect with one another in the love of God. And if you miss a face, you go, I haven't seen them for a few weeks. It's good to track them down. It's good to check in on them. Because when you're missed, you're missed, and you're loved, and you're needed. You go, oh, yeah, you know, nobody reached out. Yeah, I know, I know, because someone didn't notice you. But you ran away. And so why don't you come back and tell the person next to you, you know, I haven't been here, and we used to sit together for years, and then I've been gone for six weeks, and you didn't reach out to me. And maybe you might find out the gal says, I tried, but the number I had for you is wrong. Here, look, here's the number. And then you look at it and go, oh, there's one number missing in that. And you go, oh, man, I've been trying to reach out to you, but I've been praying for you, and maybe God's answering your prayer. I mean, you never know. You never know how God will. But, but see how quick, how quick, even our own bad decisions, we turn on the very people that God's put in our lives for mutual ministry, that to get together, to go together all the way to eternity. Now, one last thing before we head out, and you could take notes on this because it's very important. If we do come in contact with someone that's strayed and they've come back or we've helped to bring them back into a place of fellowship and relationship with God, what are we supposed to do exactly? How does that work? What are some things, practical things, we can do in the life of a backslider that's returned? Well, number one, we can pray for them. We can pray for them. We should be praying for those that are struggling and straying asking God to move upon their hearts. Ask God that would speak to them and order things in such a way that they would desire to return. And when they do return, our prayer continues for them. And we ask for that person by name and by face, specifically and persistently, and we encourage them, you know, we pray for them when they return. Number two, when a topic of backsliding, what do we need to do? Number one, pray for them. Number two, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Don't look down on anyone else because they've been trapped by the enemy. Don't get all judgmental on them and don't, don't get on some high you know, plateau of, well, I can't believe they did that and what are they doing? And hey, look, just watch yourself. Be careful about yourself and your own life. That you're not so, uh, you know, you're not, your observations are not so much on the people that are all messed up right now making bad decisions that you yourself couldn't make those same bad decisions. The body of Christ is not meant to be a hyper-judgmental group of people that has an opinion on every situation and every person, but rather a group of people that understand the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. We aren't going to expose people. We're not going to shame them. We're not going to manipulate their situation to some kind how control them. That's not the heart of God. His heart is for repentance to be followed by restoration and receiving them back. And the truth is, is that you could stray and I could stray, as we've seen in previous studies. 
When others fall around us, it should send us to our knees. When someone close to you falls, you should fall too, to your knees. And humble yourself before God, not only brokenhearted over them, but also watchful for you. Watchful in your own life. Lord, I'm so weak. And if it wasn't for your grace and your mercy, where would I be? What would I be into? God, you're faithful. Number three, we're to confront the erring person. What do we do with the backslidden? We're to confront the erring person. This happens to be a place of great failure in the body of Christ. Where, you know, somebody <clears throat> strays away, somebody turns their back on the Lord, <clears throat> and, and what I find in believers is they value personal friendship over and above personal holiness. And, and a real friend tells a friend the truth. Amen? Do you, is there an amen on that? <clears throat> so when you don't tell your friend the truth, then what kind of friend really are you? And the erring person needs to be confronted. Don't think of confrontation as something bad and screaming, yelling, pounding, not, nothing like that. You just need to have a face-to-face conversation and say what you're doing isn't right. What, what, you're, what you're involved in isn't right. You're, you, the life that you've chosen now to live isn't right before God. Not my opinion. And, and I miss you. I miss the kind of friendship we used to have in the Lord. And now your compromising ways have made things hard for us. It's made things hard for my, for my family. It's made things hard how I now have to explain to my kids what you're doing. It wasn't like that before. And we need to set aside that which is personal in order to elevate that which is holy and righteous before the Lord. Confrontation isn't a fight. It's simply lovingly approaching the person with the truth. And so what happens, if you don't approach someone with the truth, then you get caught up in gossip, you get caught up in them defending their erring ways, you get caught, and before you know it, they've brought you into the web of their own compromise. And there you are standing there with your mouth closed, but yet you know the truth. Something changed and it wasn't you. And I don't know how in every situation you would open up that conversation, but you need to. In order to turn a sinner from the error of their ways, you have to be in their life available, ready to be used, and tell them of the error of their ways. And here's how it works. But Ed, if I tell them about the error of their ways, I'll lose a friend. If that's the kind of friendship that you have, you probably don't have a friend to begin with. Because it's not good. You, you and I, you, I wouldn't be a good friend to you and you certainly wouldn't be a good friend to me if you didn't tell me the truth. Right? When you have a friend that has something hanging from their nose, what do you do? Some of you go, and they're like, yeah. You know, and they, a good friend's gonna say, hey bro, you got something on your nose and hand them a tissue. You don't just let them walk around with a hanger. <laughs> because then you find out, you go, dude, why didn't you tell me? I don't know, I was kind of embarrassed. Yeah, well, how do you think I felt, man? <laughs> well, there's a lot of hangers in the body of Christ today. That The Holy Spirit wants to use us, and it's just company. It might be a little uncomfortable to do it, but man, the end result's gonna be good. Because if you don't tell them, who's gonna tell them? We need to confront. Number four, we need to forgive. We need to forgive the repentant. This is so important. Don't miss this. When a person comes back, we need to forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. 
it's too bad we have the reputation, but it's not God's heart to shoot the wounded. We don't kick people while they're down. We accept them in Jesus and help them rebuild what the enemy has tried to destroy. This is the church of Jesus Christ, and Jesus loves to rebuild and restore and bring us, the goodness of God brings us to repentance. And number five, we're to speak words of kindness and love to them. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is so key because for a backslider and for someone that's caught up in themselves, the enemy of their souls has done such a complete and thorough job of accusing them. And when we stray, the devil is always there to hurt us even more. You call yourself a Christian. Maybe you were never a believer all along. You don't believe what your parents taught you, and he just beat you up. And I guarantee you they're hearing all sorts of things. I can't go back to church. I don't want to go back. No way. I messed up too bad. I don't even want that kind of life anymore. All and on and this goes. But when they do come back and when they do stick around, we need to encourage them in the Lord. And I would just say, if you have wandered away from Jesus Christ, you are welcome here at Calvary. This can be the stepping point for you returning to the Lord. That it's not returning to church but this fellowship family can be a stepping point for you to come back in humble repentance. We want you to be received here and loved here and encouraged here. Oh, we don't approve of the sin in your life, but we recognize that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need to come humbly before God. And we all need to live righteous, humble lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't stand in hyper-judgmental, you know, hypercritical judgment, judgment on you. So that when we do talk to you about the difficulties in your life, we're not being judgy, man. We're telling you this is the way out. This is the way of rescue. That's the heart of this church. And I pray it will always be the heart of this church. And we just ask that God would help us in order to be loving and caring for those that have wandered away. That the end result of backsliding should be returning to the Lord. Coming back just like the son that left his dad. He's sitting there contemplating everything that's going on in his life, and he comes to the conclusion, man, I have made a big mistake. I need to go home. And fortunately, his dad, a representative in that parable of the father, our heavenly father, had such a deep, reflective, loving relationship with his son that he knew that he could go home, that even if he went home and was his dad's servant, it'd be better than his backsliding ways. And isn't it true, those of you that are backsliding, your marriage is a wreck and you just won't give up. You're so stubborn. It's always someone else's fault. And yeah, it's not that you don't love God, but man, you sure aren't enjoying him. Just sitting there at the pig slop. And, and there you are. You're, you know, you know, you're, it's not like you're not in church anymore, although sometimes you do stray away. But, but man, your marriage, your life, there's no joy. There's no, and no wonder you're thinking that Christianity and a life with Jesus isn't, isn't worth it. It's because you're not living to the fullness of surrender in him. And you will just be miserable. Remember, backsliding always equals misery. And it's not God's fault you're miserable right now. It's your fault. And if you will humble yourself before God and repent of your sins, he'll receive you back and begin to relieve you of the misery that you've been living in, replacing it with joy. Even David got there, you know. 
David asked to have this joy of God's salvation be restored to him. And that's his heart for anyone that's strayed away. So Father, as we turn our hearts to you in singing this final song, and we just want to be well equipped to return. We want this last part of James to reflect our heart as a church, that we would help God those that have turned away when they return, or we meet them in Safeway or see them at Walmart, or we're at a soccer game and their kid is on the same team, that we might be able to minister to them and encourage them and remind them of your great love. And I know there's a lot of barriers that get in the way, friendship and hurts and pains and such, but you're the great barrier removal. You're able to remove the greatest barriers. Just with the little uh, mustard seed of faith, God, you said mountains could be moved. And so I pray you'd increase our faith as it comes to these relationships that we're in, people that we know, and that we would have a heart to restore the backslider. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.